Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, joined uh, here at our wonderful hotel. I'm not going to say exactly the hotel, C-Mac, Chris McPherson, but uh, I'm, we're here from our hotel room where we'll be recording some podcasts over the next couple of days covering the East-West Shrine Bowl uh, down in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, it's a great game to be a part of every single year. Uh, look, it's not the blue-chip talent that we've come to expect from the Senior Bowl on a yearly basis, but good players every year. C-Mac, you and I and Peter Kelly are our trusty producer here. Here. We're talking about some of the top players uh, on the Eagles roster who have played at the East-West Shrine Bowl. Uh, Brandon Brooks, one of the best guards in football, certainly a, a great alumnus. And, and then Avante Maddox, who has played a big role in the Eagles secondary over the last couple of years. So uh, a lot of talent down here in St. Petersburg, Florida. I'm going to get right into it. Here's what we got for the show. We've got draft buzz. We'll hit on a couple of Eagles-related topics at the top of the show. Pick six, where C-Mac and I are going to pick six players that stood out the most to us here at the first day of practice on Monday. Then we're going to catch up with our Mr. Relevant, who this week is going to be Ben Solak from the Draft Network. He's going to give us a handful of players that really caught his eye on the opening day of practice. C-Mac caught up with John Runyon Jr., one of the more interesting players, uh, certainly from an Eagles fan standpoint, uh, here at the Shrine Bowl. And then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. We'll call it a show. But we've got a lot going on. Again, at the very top, I always mention it, the best way to support the show is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen. Just give us a rating. Leave us a comment. It's the best way to throw us your support this time of year. Look, more, more and more people are getting involved uh, with covering and uh, listening to content from the, about the NFL Draft. So the best way for those people to find this podcast, if you're an avid listener, you want more people to listen to the show so we can keep going, just go leave us a rating and leave us a comment. All right, that being said, let's get to the top here with Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. Woo, Fran, did you exhale at all? Yeah, got, we got it out. It's, it's exciting. We're here for the, uh, the it's first day of practice. we got a lot of practices to cover over the next two weeks. It's amazing. Oh, it, yeah. It's great being out of the office and just watching football. Yes. That's the thing. Up close, and you get to see sort of like the baseline of the start of the NFL draft process here because we'll go to the Senior Bowl the next week, and you'll see everyone at the Combine. Yep. Even though to that point it becomes more track and field and agility drills versus actual football, but it's great to get the draft season started down here it's St. Pete. So from an Eagle standpoint, some big news. Corey Unlin, defensive backs coach who was part of the Super Bowl championship squad a couple of years ago, came in with Doug Peterson. He is headed to the Detroit Lions to be their new defensive coordinator. So the Eagles already have a couple openings on the coaching staff that they have to fill. Offensive coordinator, wide receivers coach, now add defensive backs coach to the mix. And as Howie Roseman said during the State of the Team address last week, defensive back field is going to be a big position to watch this offseason because your stars at cornerback are both scheduled to become unrestricted free agents in Ronald Darby and Jalen Mills, as is one of your starting safeties in Rodney McLeod. So, Obviously, that's going to be a big hole to fill right there for the Eagles. Uh, congratulations to Coach Unlin. No question. And, and thanks to all the great work that he's done the last couple of years, again, helping the Eagles bring home 
a Super Bowl championship. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Corey Yundlin and uh, obviously did such a great job uh, over the last few years here and um, you know, was a big part. That, that secondary was a huge part of that Super Bowl. And I know Super Bowl 52, that game itself was not great for the defense, but uh, that defense made a number of big plays down the stretch. Look, the, the big thing, and we actually talked about this, C-Mac, over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade this week. Myself and Greg Cosell went position by position with this Eagles roster going into the offseason. And I think when you look at the secondary, if you just look at it by the numbers, there are a lot of numbers that paint a really good picture about the secondary. You look at completion percentage and third down completion percentage. A lot of those things, it's pretty good when you're talking about what the secondary is able to do. The big thing was just giving up the big play, and that's something that has to get worked out. Uh, you mentioned that two of the corners are getting ready to hit free agency, the two starters with Jalen Mills and Ronald Darby. We'll see who's back and who's not and uh, who's coaching them. It's going to be a, a huge topic of discussion over the next few weeks. It certainly will be. Other, uh, This is more... Fran putting on your reporter cap here, and Miles Sanders, electrifying rookie, should be Offensive Rookie of the Year, really helped electrify the offense down the stretch. Well, you caught up with some of the Penn State players here at the Shrine Bowl to get some insight and learn a little more about Mr. Sanders. So I've been coming to these All-Star games now for like, you know, what is it now, seven, eight years, and... You know, obviously talking with these players one-on-one, -on -one, you get some insights about what the, how they feel about their game and what they can do to improve. But over the last couple of years, I've really enjoyed kind of talking to them about other players and getting insights with them uh, about whether they're former teammates or guys they lined up against. I always find it interesting to kind of ask those kinds of questions. And, um, you know, I saw Tommy Stevens, who uh, Penn State fans, if you're local to the area, will know, hey, yeah, he was our former backup quarterback. He was set to take over for Trace McSorley uh, this year, but ended up transferring. So he went down to Mississippi State and was the starting quarterback, big arm kid, talked about him last week on the show. So I caught up with Tommy Stevens. We talked about a bunch of stuff, SEC defenses, things like that. And I just thought at the end, I was like, hey, you know, tell me, what do you think about Miles Sanders? What do you think about how he did this year? And his face lit up. And he was like, you know, Miles and I, we came in a year apart, but I was the heir apparent to Trace McSorley, had to wait my turn, had to sit and wait. He was the heir apparent to Saquon Barkley, had to sit and wait. And we both kind of looked at each other and knew, like, We've got what it takes to, to start in big-time college football. And the thing about uh, Miles, he said, I got a great Miles Sanders story. He said, I went in one day, and it was after, it was after practice. It was actually at night. It was after meetings, and we were going to have a throwing session with some of the receivers. And so I went out, and in the bubble, in the indoor, lights were on already, and working by himself in the corner was Miles Sanders. And it just kind of painted a picture of the, the kind of hard worker that he is. And I remember last spring when the Eagles made him a second-round selection uh, and brought him to Philadelphia – Across the board, coaches, scouts, you know, Howie Roseman, Joe Douglas, Andy Weidel, everybody was on board with that selection and said, you know what, we are getting not just a good player, but a guy who you know, works his butt off, is really competitive, and I think that that work ethic kind of shown through. It was interesting kind of talking with Tommy Stevens about that, and he said, you know, uh, just talked about that work. I love that story. So I said, you know what, there are a couple other Penn State guys here. Let me go grab them and just kind of get their thoughts. So I talked with offensive lineman Steven Gonzalez, and we talked about a couple other things, but I asked him about Miles, and he said the thing with Miles was he was always, always grinding. You could always see that this guy, even when Saquon was putting up the big headlines, he was always in the background doing his work. He never came in and kind of you know did the woe is me attitude. I talked with the cornerback, John Reed, who's been a four-year starter, actually a Philly kid from South Jersey, went to St. Joe's Prep uh, in Philadelphia. And I, I had a great quote from John Reed where uh, you, know, you could always see he was like, look, I played early. I was a, a guy who play, started games as a freshman, as a sophomore. Miles was not in that boat, but you could see that he was 
was really competitive, and he never settled for just being a backup. And I think that just kind of speaks to the work ethic that the Eagles have in Miles Sanders. I mean, I remember draft day last year when they were teasing Deuce Daly about who they selected right. at running back because Staley wanted Miles Sanders in the building so badly. And that work ethic has certainly carried over throughout his rookie season because his teammates in the locker room have raved about what he's done to be able to get himself on the field, the coaches as well. Yep. They put a lot on his plate as a rookie, and he stepped up in a huge, huge way. And again, after Jordan Howard suffered his shoulder injury, Miles Sanders had to be the feature back, and he was more than ready for the task. Tommy Stevens told me that he was telling everybody that would listen in Starkville, uh, Stark <laughs> Vegas, as everyone <laughs> likes to, to call Starkville, uh, that he was going to be the rookie of the year on offense, and this was in the summer and in the preseason. He was like, this guy, and sure enough, when he got his chance, uh, certainly made the most of it. There we go. So great stuff about Miles Sanders, and hopefully we'll get some more anecdotes like that. And in fact, we'll have some a little bit later in the show when we hear from John Runyon yep. Jr. about some of his connections to the Eagles, and it's not just the fact that his father was a Pro Bowl tackle no back in the day. So we're going to transition over now to pick six. Pick six. Pick six. So Fran and I, we're going to go draft style and select six players who stood out to us in day one of the Shrine Bowl practices. Now it's time for pick six. All right, so we're going now into a little pick six. Okay, you know, I'm getting a little, little juice here. It's the first time. It's our first pick six in a while. It's, it's, we haven't done pick six in a long time. First time in a long time. Uh, so later on in the show, okay, you're going to catch up with Benjamin Solak from yep. the Draft Network, and he's going to give his five players. So as we go into this, I said, well, why don't we not pick those five players? Agreed, yes. You know, to give a little – little different little variety. Here. We don't want to cover variety. Yeah, we want to cover more players. Exactly. Two teams here, you know, especially the afternoon session with the West. Longer practice. Yeah. They were getting after it. So, I mean, it got to the point where they actually had to turn out the lights <laughs> at one point. In I will say I've never field. seen that before. but It was 5.30 p.m., and, you know, they're in the middle of practice. They were in the middle of seven on seven, and the lights just, boom, went out. But they kept on going. They kept going. You know, it was the ribbon boards, the video boards were the only light in the stadium, provided the only light. Didn't matter. They kept on going. Even I turned my cell phone light, light on, though. Kept it that's going. pretty much what they needed right there So to get things going. So to kick things off, all right, so I had the honors of yes. going first here. And the first player I'm selecting here, Jonathan Johnson, the slippery wide receiver from Missouri, Fun player to watch out there on the field. Crafty with his route running. You could see the big plays, not just, you know, you know, catching the ball, you know, in the flat, but also making some nice plays over the middle of the field as well. You can definitely see that type of athleticism translate to the next level. He's someone who, you know, as teams are going to be looking for more speed and, you know, creative weapons on offense. Jonathan Johnson, to me, could potentially fit the bill. So he was fun to watch here and someone who his athleticism definitely, I thought, popped in day one. He, he's an explosive athlete. I talked about him in our preview show last week, and I, I, he's a guy that on film, uh, he's got that return ability, yards after catch, shorter, smaller guy, Certainly, of yes. course, but uh, a guy that's got the juice for sure. Um, I'm going to go with my pick, uh, a guy that, look, we – we had some uh, transportation issues, we'll say. Uh, so we were a little bit late running to that first practice. So we got there right before uh, O-line, D-line, one-on-ones were getting ready to start. I ran down to the field. I was like, I want to see, see the big guys go up, up close. And the, the defensive lineman that stood out most to me 
was Garrett Marino, the defensive tackle from UAB. Uh, I talked about him last week as well, and, and Garrett Marino was a guy that really stood out to me on film. I thought that he had a, a real knack for getting after the quarterback. I thought he had a really good feel as well for uh, operating in different stunts and twists and all the different things they did from a schematic standpoint up front uh, down there for UAB. He's a little bit small. I think he came in under 285 today, which is uh, unfortunate. I was hoping that he'd be a little bit bigger, at least north of 290. Um, so we'll see you know, how much weight he's able to put on. But uh, this is a guy who's really quick. He's got the ability uh, to you know, be able to be an interior disruptor at the NFL level. It's obviously he's not the level of prospect. We had this discussion last year with Ed Oliver. Um, you know, I think when you look at Marino, He's a guy that can come in on sub-package. He couldn't be blocked in one-on-ones, and we know that you know the O-line, D-line one-on-ones always favors defensive linemen, uh, but no one had answers for him inside. I'll be interested to see if he can keep that up tomorrow. Speaking of one-on-ones, so next player I have here is cornerback Keith Washington from West Virginia. He was the player I was intrigued about when we did the preview show yep. because he was an all-Big 12 selection for the Mountaineers, his one season on campus there. Uh, he was a JUCO transfer, but before that, he actually started his college career at Michigan. Yep. So intriguing prospect. And you mentioned one-on-ones, and when you have one-on-one receivers against the defensive backs, that's always slanted heavily in favor of the receivers. Yep. Well, in the one-on-one defensive back wide receiver drills today, had a couple of pass breakups, and he even read an out route perfectly and stepped in front of it to make the interception. The ball skills, something that translate over from his playing time in Morgantown, so he was someone who, as you're looking at the cornerback position here, you know, someone who made a couple of big plays in the one-on-ones, uh, wasn't afraid to mix it up in there whatsoever. Uh, definitely that ball hawking ability was something that caught my eye here in day one. So Keith Washington was my second guy. Yeah, I'm going to go with the same position group okay. with the same side of the ball, the same side of the field, the West team defensive backs. I'm going to go with Minnesota corner Chris Williamson, uh, number 27 in your playbook. So he was a guy that, to me, when you looked at uh, Williamson on film, I liked his athleticism. He's an SEC transfer, started his career with the Gators in Florida, uh, and he's got inside-outside versatility, proven that he can play on the outside as well as in the slot. Watched him here uh, today. You know, good, spent a good amount of time focusing on the defensive backs. He did play a little bit of both, uh, where he was able to play inside in team drills. And one of the things that stood out to me was how well he did in those one-on-one periods. And I, I remember uh, lined up against Notre Dame wide receiver Chris Fink, who's one of the better route runners here in attendance, especially for this West squad. And he threw a nice little outbreaking route at him in the intermediate area. We'll say like 12, 15 yards. Williamson read it, put his foot in the ground, and broke towards the sideline and got his hand on the football, knocked it down for a pass breakup. And then at the end of practice, CMAC, they did one of my favorite things to do, and that's when they get the whole team together and they do a set of one-on-one drills because, number one, everybody's juiced up. The energy level you know, certainly kicks up a notch. It's certainly more intense. But then number two, you also get to see who are the guys that shine when the lights are brightest because everyone in the building, the janitor up in the, the, cl- <laughs> in the suite level is watching – all the you know what's going on in the field. Yep. There's only one thing happening. Chris Williamson was lined up uh, against McCray, Justin McCray, the wide receiver from Oklahoma State. He ran a deep post route. Williamson read it perfectly, jumped it, uh, and came up with the interception down the field, some 40 yards downfield. Huge play. The whole team went nuts. The defensive back coach ran 40 yards downfield to celebrate. And I think when you see that kind of a play, it kind of speaks to uh, number one, the confidence the coaches had in Williamson because that's something where you know they got to pick. All right, who's one guy we want to see in this situation? Let's see Williamson, and he came through big. All right, my last guy here, a couple of guys who certainly, you know, popped and flashed at the course of the day. But yeah. my last guy here, Isaiah Afala, 
I don't know if I quite nailed the last name. I don't know if you did. I don't think I did but either. But I credit you for trying. But the West Georgia defensive tackle, just mammoth of a man. I don't know what the official measurements were, but he was listed at 6'5", 328 pounds. And there were times when he was simply manhandling the center or the guard who was in front of him. Uh, just a it's impressive to watch because you have some players here who are, you know, on the smaller side, a little undersized here. That was not the case here. Isaiah was certainly uh, up to the task here. And, and it'll be interesting. He's not someone who's going to be explosive. He's not going to be a pass rush force. But, you know, when you're looking to clog the interior of the defensive line uh, from the nose tackle or defensive tackle spot, uh, Isaiah certainly, certainly was fun to watch here today. Yeah, I'm going to go with a guy on the opposite side uh, with Utah defensive tackle John Penasini. Uh, I watched him in the summer uh, with the rest of that Utah defense, and I liked what I saw, a guy that uh, could be a spark plug up front as a backup rotational player. And, and today I saw more of the same. You know, he came out early, was one of the first players out in the field, got to see him up close. He's well built. Uh, and then seeing him going one-on-ones, watching him work in individuals, watching him in team drills, kind of you know kept my eye over there whenever I could. And he just looks the part. I really do feel that he's uh, got a really high floor as a backup defensive tackle, whether it's a 4-3 or a 3-4. I think he's probably better for a 4-3, but a uh, good run defender, gets after it, as, as can be a little bit disruptive against the pass, and he's got a high motor. He's a violent player. He's technically sound. Uh, I, I like John Penasini. We'll see his a few of his teammates next week in Mobile. But uh, to me, I would have argued that Penasini also deserved to make that trip as well. He was a guy that I thought could go to the Senior Bowl. All right, those are our six players who flashed in day one of the Shrine Bowl practices. Now for a different perspective, let's bring in our Mr. Relevant as Fran Duffy catches up with Benjamin Solak from the Draft Network. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, joining us today here on Mr. Relevant, here from the Tampa Bay Devil Rays dugout at the Trop, one Benjamin Solak from the Draft Network. Ben, uh, welcome back to the show, man. Yeah, I always, I always knew I'd be in a professional baseball dugout. That was my future. Definitely, uh, in, uh, it was me, big sports player. Yeah, I, I, you could tell that. Anyone who has seen you knows. <laughs> I mean, this guy is a physical specimen who excels at all athletic events. Listen, I'm the size of Mason Fine, and Mason Fine's out here <laughs> trying to be uh, an NFL quarterback. So you That's know what? Very I'm going to take it. Yeah, the Vernon Adams Hive. Well, let's talk about some of the guys. You, you mentioned Mason Fine. Let's talk about five guys that stood out to you here on the first day of, of East-West Shrine Bowl practices. We're here on Monday. Uh, we saw the f both practices here this afternoon. Let's, uh, let's go number one. Who was the number one guy that stood out to you, your eyes personally today? Yeah, I didn't see Khalil Davis lose a rep. This is a defensive tackle out of Nebraska. He and, and, and his brother, Carlos Davis, yep. are both here. Uh, Davis was the sack artist at Nebraska for the Blackshirts. It translated. I mean, they did one-on-one -on -one reps. And Davis is on a, on a West defensive line with a lot of guys who two-gapped, a lot of guys who, who are responsible for these even stances. Davis is comfortable in this, this staggered stance. So asking him to one-gap, get up the field. So he's familiar with it, so he's shining. And then on the one-on-ones, we know the defensive tackles have the advantage, but that doesn't mean we can't see traits. I mean, Davis showed some really impressive bend for a guy. He's squatting and he's thick, but he's able to rush with tilt, take those tight corners. The hands are super active. They're really powerful. And so we have a guy with natural leverage, a guy who's getting to 
a half man quickly, and then he can finish his rushes by either separating or by bending a, a tough angle. So Davis in one-on-ones, Davis uh, on the drills where they're working leverage and run blocking. I didn't see him have a rep where he looked like he was out of place or confused or outmatched physically. So as of right now, best player I've seen in the field, Khalil Davis out of Nebraska. So he had a bunch of sacks this year. You mentioned his twin brother Carlos also in attendance. He had some struggles today. We saw him in a, actually a, a hyper-focused one-on-one drill yeah. at the end of practice here, uh, and he got locked up. But I think when you look at Khalil Davis, that, that initial quickness certainly stands out. You think he best projects to a 4-3 style scheme at the next level? Yeah, I actually, while I was watching him, I, I turned to one of my colleagues at the Draft Network, and I said, hey, Puna Ford out of Texas. He was a Shriner before he got called here, the yeah. Senior Bowl, right? And he was like, yeah, Khalil Davis was a borderline Senior Bowl guy. We knew the Senior Bowl was looking at him. Play like this for a few days, and if there's a spot on the That's roster defensive tackle, you get to go up there, and then it's even stiffer competition. But yeah, I bring up Puna Ford because it's that squatty frame, it's that thick frame, but it's that initial quickness. Now I win with leverage. I'm at a half man. I beat you into the gap, and with the strength that Khalil Davis brings, he's able to separate, deconstruct the block, and that's how he makes plays in the backfield. All right, let's get to your second one. Who is the, your number two guy that stood out most here today? Yeah, so I'm staying in the trenches. I'm staying actually on the on the West team as well. You brought up Carlos Davis had some struggles in that one on one. It was Kevin Dotson. I out of Louisiana Lafayette, yes. who we went to play. Now, Kevin Dotson was a right guard uh, for Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns. They like to run the football. They like to get their guys moving downhill. He and Robert Hunt, uh, right tackle, he'll be at the Senior Bowl. Big, physical, angry dudes. And they down block and combo block dudes into the next generation, right? <laughs> I mean, the film was nuts. It, it tra- it, it's back here. You know what I mean? This is a powerful dude in a phone booth. And so when he gets hands on you, he's winning. And on these one-on-one reps, like I said, you know, it's, it's the advantage of the defensive line, right? But... Dodson's taking aggressive sets. He's getting up into the kitchen right away. He's locating his hands. And once the hands are there, you're really not shucking this guy. The grip strength is great. The length is sufficient. And then the lower body power is nice. And the, the, you hear these offensive line coaches, whenever he engages, they start telling him, all right, squat, squat, squat. They want him to build his house, to, to widen his base, and, and, and to drop his weight to really anchor on guys. That's going to be the next step for Dodson. It's not just about gaining control and then taking a guy beyond where he wants to go. You really have to learn how to stonewall these dudes. And that's going to require improvements in his lower half. But pass protection, even as that's still coming around, the run blocking, which we don't see as much of in these sort of uh, of context in these practices, yeah. the run blocking and the power that Dotson brings, that's what's really impressive to me. I think what will be very interesting with him the rest of the way here is he's only played guard at Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah. And I, I think typically what you'll see, especially with offensive linemen at the, a game like this, is if they shine early and if teams are showing a lot of interest in them, They'll kind of get pressed, hey, can you play center? Can you play tackle? Will we see him at a couple other spots this week? I think it will be interesting. There's a number of guys here at this game that have proven that versatility. You know, Calvin Throckmorton in Oregon, right. Cole Cabral at Arizona Your guy, State. right? Uh, there are a bunch of guys that, you know, have shown that versatility in their college career. He's not one of those guys. So I think we'll see if he's kind of put in some of those stressful situations to say, hey, can you play another spot for us? If you're going to make it as a backup early in your career, we need you to prove that versatility. But I agree, strength, power, you know, that that's really uh, – this kid's game. Let's go to number three. Who's the next guy up? Yeah, so if you want to talk uh, strength and power, let's talk about this this young man out of UCF. Now, this is the east side, the corner. Neville Clark. Yeah. Heavens, he gets huge. And he's a bully. And he's unkind. You know, We've got some some decent size on the on the east team wide receivers here. They're running these release drills, getting off of press. You know, uh, you know, within a, they, they set up a box, and you can't go wide in this box. you got to be able to separate off this guy, so, you know, get, get the corner 
off of his spot and then get upfield on him. Clark's taking the fight to the receivers, and you love to see that from press. You know, when, when we talk about good press cover corners, you want guys who are too aggressive who you have to dial it back on, not guys who aren't aggressive enough. We have to teach them how to play uphill and play physical. So Clark's got length, he's got height, and he's got strength, and he brings it to these receivers, allows them to immediately knock them off the course. But then we start going into, into shells, into five-on-five, five, and Clark's in now off coverage. He's closing downhill again. He's eyes in the backfield. He's a very, very aggressive corner who's really coming up. And, and, and oftentimes in these first days of practice, everybody's tentative. Right? They don't want to make sure. mistakes. Yep. I think Clark's very willing to make mistakes. He's coming out here. He wants to make some plays. Had a near interception that became a pass breakup. Had another route he smothered. Ball was inaccurate. He was all over it. So Clark, a, a player who has been gained more and more attention in the draft cycles. More people turn their eyes to the UCF defense. Richie Grant was the big attraction coming uh -huh. in at safety, but Clark, to me, seems like, like the jewel that UCF defense is a good player. Yeah, 6'1", 184 pounds is what he was listed at. I'll be interested to see. I didn't see the official weigh-ins yet from this morning. It's right. interesting to see what he came in at from a size standpoint, but uh, Neville Clark on film really stood out to me with his instincts and his awareness and zone coverage. So, uh, you know, adding him to an NFL defense, I think that's the kind of scheme that he'll really, really succeed in as opposed to a pure man-to-man -man scheme uh, an area where he's able to play in zone I think will, will benefit him moving forward. I agree. He really flashed here uh, in some of the reps that I saw. Let's get to your next guy, number four. Yeah, so North Dakota State, we, we the, the guys had a hustle. We got two or three of them here. They had to play in a national championship game over the weekend. They're used to this, though. Yeah, this right. is, the, this this is, is what they're bred. They're born and bred yeah, to play NDSC national championships. is what they got to do, right? It's a, it's a tight turnaround if you're a Shriner. Derek Tuska, which I, I probably don't have it right, and if I don't have it right, I'm sorry, Derek. Edge here for North Dakota State. He comes in, and immediately you see, all right, we've got to check the body type. We've got to check the frame. Do you have what it looks like for an NFL player? The length, the height is there. He could probably use for added mass, but we've clearly got a, a, a structure here, a framework that we can build off of. Well, now let's check what you start doing against competition. This is an effective high side rusher. I mean, and you can see it right away. He understands what he needs to get to and how he needs to get to there. So we have a very quick first initial step. The hands are enough that we can get to the outside, the high side shoulder. And then it's a matter of bending and finishing. And a lot of times, you know, in these sorts of, uh, of, of situations, he'll just get pushed beyond the peak of the pocket. And so the quarterback would have stepped up. But sometimes it's all you need from your outside mm. rushers, especially when it comes to depth, guys. If you can continually form and shape the pocket and then force that quarterback to step up, well, now we can let other players finish off the, off the rep for you. So it's not, as we know as, as Eagles fans, it's not always sacks, sometimes it's pressures. And that what those pressures create for you and the defense as a whole. So Tuska, you still have to watch how great is that bend, how good is that quickness, but we've got an initial explosive step and we've got enough length to get to that half-man relationship on the outside. So we're checking boxes for an FCS player. You're hanging on with FBS guys, with the top FBS guys, and it seems like if we add some more mass to you, you'll continue to grow. Yeah, he's a guy I have not studied him yet, but certainly appears to be, uh, as you mentioned, one of those pure high side rushers. Another guy I think kind of fits that bill is Alex Highsmith, uh, who I know is your fifth guy, yeah. the kid out of Charlotte. Listen, Highsmith, I, I walked in expecting to see a guy who needed more time in an NFL rate room. He's, he's stacked. He's tightly wound. I mean, this is exactly what you're hoping to see in terms of a, of a, a, a group of five player, a Conference USA player, clearly just came out of the gym. I mean, he's, he's yoked and he's built up. And so then you watch him now, and we talked about with Tuska, what are you going to do against FBS competition? These are guys that you've only maybe played once or twice a year in terms of their caliber of competition. Highsmith looks stronger than these guys from the jump. He looks like the guy from a Power 5 program. He looks like the guy who was, who was the high recruit. So really impressed how he's built his body, especially because coming in, 
to the season, we thought this was a bit of a lighter guy, wins with quickness at a sufficient size. So now we continue to check and we say, all right, if you can hold up in the running game, now you've got every down potential. You're not yep. just a sub-package guy. So coming into the week, Highsmith was one of the more well-known names. He was probably one of the three or four that you expected to go highly drafted, have a chance to be that early day three guy. Sure. We'll continue to see who defines and who, who comes out and who raises their stock. But Highsmith checking boxes, right? He's showing that, that, that he's going to be able to play with, with this top competition. That's what the Shrine game is for. We go to the film. We go to the combine. If you continue to check boxes, now you're one of our best group of five guys. Now you're a potential day two prospect. Yeah, he's a guy coming in that I had some, some of the most juice about, I would right. say, uh, in terms of being excited to see them. Well, Ben, you've got a long uh, couple weeks here, my friend. Excited. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us here uh, once again on Mr. Relevant on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, friend. Great stuff from Ben, and we, can, we always enjoy having him on the show. Those guys at the Draft Network uh, do a great job. All right, let's now get to the next part of the show. Uh, CMAC caught up with John Runyon Jr., who is a, a talented offensive lineman, has started a bunch of games, both at tackle and guard, for the Michigan Wolverines over the last couple of years. A couple Eagles-related ties here, so let's get to our unofficial visit. The unofficial visit. How much has it helped having his former offensive line coach, Juan Castillo, be able to help you this past year at Michigan? Yeah, it's been unbelievable um, having Juan come in as an analyst. Um, I'm able to, you know, watch film. Uh, he sent me cut-ups and uh, stuff to watch for in there, and I give him a report back on what I saw, and he was always there helping me refine my technique, and I put all my faith in Juan and our uh, other offensive line coaches, like Coach Ed Warner and uh, – you know, Coach Blaney and all of them, and uh, they were really helpful in everything, and you know, they made me the best version of me, and I'm indebted to them for that. Your dad was talking about the FaceTime sessions mm -hmm. that you guys would have in mornings where, you know, your dad would be there, Juan would be there, you'd be there, that you'd be taking extra time to try to, like, you know, you know, enhance those little details yeah. to improve those those little facets of your game. Can you talk about those uh, those sort of Monday or uh, morning meetings? Yeah, um, you know, it's kind of just all about the details when it comes to the offensive line. Um, if you want to be a good player and keep ascending, you got to take control of the small little things that some people, sometimes some people uh, gloss over and uh, they don't pay attention to. And that's kind of the difference I see between being a good player and a fantastic player. And uh, those FaceTime uh, sessions we had were um, awesome. Um, he would be, be there being able to demonstrate uh, different techniques and footwork on my sisters. And I'd be able to not only just hear it, but I could see it and how it applies and stuff like that. So that's something that's a resource that's been invaluable to me uh, since I started playing football. I've heard Lane Johnson has offered his services as well from you have the same agent, he's offered his trainer, uses of his gym. How nice is that to kind of have that, have those resources already available for you? Yeah. Um, I'm so thankful for Lane. Uh, my parents are, uh, they live in the same town as Lane. And uh, like I said, we got connected through that and with the same agent. And uh, he's offered that once my uh, pro day is over, I can go back home, you know, live at home with my parents and go to his house, work out in his gym with his trainer with him. And um, something that I'm looking forward to, you know, Lane's a fantastic pro bowl player. I'm, you know, great role model. I know that Lane looked up to my dad, and you know, I looked up to my dad and Lane, so this is kind of crazy that's coming full circle like that. But, um, yeah, I'm really thankful for the opportunity. Did you make your dad clean out your apartment at Michigan? <laughs> well, that's... yes, but no. I mean, because uh, I got a lease that was uh, – because I knew that I wouldn't be able to do it because we'd be out here for the bowl game. So, I mean, I boxed everything up for him. And uh, 
uh, all he had to do was move it out into the car. So technically, yeah, he did have to clean, have to clean it up. But uh, you know, I did all the dirty work for him, <laughs> getting everything together. But yeah, so he and my sister went and did that this weekend, and uh, you know, I did my part, and I'm thankful he drove out there. It was about a nine-hour drive. He drove back. Um, he stayed out there for two days, and I was talking to him last night. He just sounded dead tired. And, <laughs> And I feel bad, but uh, he's going to go there, get his Wawa coffee, and he'll be good. See, perfect plug, perfect <laughs> way to end the interview. John, best of luck to you in the draft process. Pleasure talking to you here yeah, you on too. the Journey to Draft podcast presented by AAA. Thank you. So that's not the complete interview. We're actually, I'm actually doing a feature. I had a chance to catch up with John Sr. himself yep. um, to kind of talk about what it's like watching his son go through the process. So I'm going to have that for you on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, our app and our social media channels for you this week as part of our Shrine Bowl coverage. Yep. So day one, a whirlwind. Can't in the books. It's in the books, indeed. So uh, It was a long day of travel. We got everything in. We got here. So now we've got... A full day tomorrow, a full day Wednesday, and then we'll do a, uh, a kind of a recap and a preview for next week on Thursday. That's Indeed. what you can expect. So uh, we got to go uh, get this up so we can go watch the national championship. Ooh. Uh, it occurred to me last week that Ben and I did not give our predictions. Kickoff is now six minutes from now, okay. I believe. I like Clemson. There I think we are going to take Clemson. You're going to take Clemson. I think we're take you Clemson. think they find a way? The great team the that's – <sighs> I just I, – look, LSU can come in and, and have a shootout with anybody, but I'm just – I said it going into the, to the Fiesta Bowl that I, it's hard to bet against a guy like, uh, uh, you know, the, the coaching staff over there with, uh, with Dabo Swinney and, and Brent Venables and Clemson and then the quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, battle-tested. I'm going with the experience in this game. I'm going to go with the uh, kind of America's team, so to speak, LSU. here with LSU. It seems like everyone – Everyone's adopted Burrow and Edward, Eddie O, for sure. In, indeed. And, uh, you know, Clemson, look, they found a way to beat Ohio State. You know, an amazing game there. You know, some questionable calls, obviously. Sure. But um, LSU, it's, you know, it's been an amazing juggernaut all season. Continued it against Oklahoma in the semifinal. Well, we'll see if they can carry it one more game. But I'll, I'll go on the opposite and think LSU will uh, come out on top. We'll find, we'll find out in a few minutes here. But, uh, all right, so, again, daily podcast for the most of the rest of this week. You can check us tomorrow here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. For everybody here from St. Pete, uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow.